Section 21 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11, Fire and Sword, Part 1. The rebels of northern Italy now bound the red cross of the crusader upon their arms, for Gregory had declared a holy war against the emperor, and they were fighting in the cause of the church. The open alliance of the Pope gave them renewed courage, and many of those who had joined Frederick during his successful campaign now renounced their allegiance. Azzo of Esti and Alberic of Romano, the brother of Eccellino, raised the standard of rebellion in the Trevisan March, and were supported by the gold of Venice. Bologna became the centre of disaffection in Romagna, and induced Paul Traversaro to bring the city of Ravenna over to the side of the Guelphs. Even in his kingdom of Arles, sedition raised its head against the emperor. Raymond Berenger, the Count of Provence, drove the imperial vicar from his dominions, and made a covenant with the Pope, whereby he promised military aid in the war against the excommunicate sovereign but the Count of Toulouse and the great city stood loyal, and Raymond's death a few months later deprived the Pope of a valuable ally. In June 1239, Frederick advanced into the territories of Bologna, ravaged her lands, burnt two of her strong castles, and captured a thousand of her soldiers. He then appointed his favorite son Enzo as his vicar in central Italy, and himself returned to Cremona to carry on the war in Lombardy. During his absence, the loyalists of Pavia had been defeated by the soldiers of Piacenza, but this reverse had been more than counterbalanced by the accession of Como, the gateway into Germany, which had revolted from the Milanese yoke and joined the Ghibellines. Milan was alive with martial activity and was preparing for a desperate defense in view of the emperor's coming. Gregory of Montelengo, the papal legate, had taken up his abode there, and had commanded even the clergy and friars to doff their vestments and buckle on the sword. The campaign against Milan commenced in September, but it proved a failure. Frederick burned twenty Milanese towns and laid waste the countryside, but when he reached the walls of the great city itself he was forced to recognize that his armament was not strong enough to attack it with any hope of success. He then turned southwards to Piacenza, but here a torrential rain and a flooded river frustrated him, and in November he returned to Cremona. He now decided to abandon a while the fruitless operations against Milan and her Lombard allies, and to turn his arms against the territories of the church. Tuscany, which he traversed on his way southwards, gratified him by every evidence of loyalty. Pisa, the chief imperial city of the province, invited him to spend Christmas within her walls and to put an end to the party warfare of Conti and Visconti, which was distracting her peace. He held his court there in great state, and on Christmas Day, in contempt of the papal excommunication, he heard mass in the cathedral. The citizens were then exhorted to abandon their quarrelsome factions. There are many examples in history, he declared, which prove that states are ruined only by their own divisions. You must live like good citizens and think only of the good of the commonwealth. If you disobey, I shall be the first to overthrow your state, not from hatred, 
but because I do not wish to see it fall into the hands of others. The elders consented gladly to rigorous laws which he enacted against future disturbers of the peace. From Pisa he proceeded to Arezzo and Cortona, and from thence entered the lands of the church. The march of Ancona and the Duchy of Spoleto had been given to the papacy by Frederick at his coronation. On his departure for the crusade, however, the hostility of Gregory had induced him to revoke the grant, but at the peace of San Germano he had again relinquished the provinces to the papacy. The outbreak of renewed hostilities with Gregory had led to a second withdrawal of the gift, and while Frederick was engaged in Romagna and Lombardy, his son Enzo had made great headway against the papal party in the march. Frederick now entered the duchy of Spoleto, and avoiding the impregnable Guelph fortress of Perugia, came to Foligno, where he met Enzo, and was attended by the envoys of many cities which welcomed his coming. Here an invitation reached them which emboldened them to strike yet more closely at the papal dominions, and to threaten Gregory in his own patrimony. Viterbo, the ancient enemy of Rome, besought the emperor to bestow the favor of his presence upon her. His entry into Viterbo was the signal of a general revulsion of feeling in his favor, and city after city cast off its allegiance to the pope until the imperial sway spread to the very gates of Rome. Even the eternal city itself prepared to welcome Gregory's enemy. Let him come, the mob shouted when Frederick's envoys appeared. Let the emperor come and receive the homage of his city. Gregory was in dire peril, and many of his cardinals fled. But he was a man of high courage, and he well knew how fickle were the enthusiasms of the Roman populace. While the shouts of the mob were ringing in his ears, he gathered his priests and acolytes around him, withdrew from their shrines the sacred relics, the heads of St. Peter and St. Paul, and the wood of the true cross, and bore them in solemn procession from the Lateran to St. Peter's. The weathercock temper of the people instantly veered round in his favor. They knelt before him in his progress through the streets. Every church in the city was packed, and men, women, and children hastened to take the cross and range themselves against the emperor, whom they had just prepared to welcome. Frederick's hope of bearding Gregory in his lair was defeated by the unanimous hostility of the citizens. Even if he might have contemplated a siege of the city, the exhausted condition of his war chest rendered so great an undertaking impossible. He decided to return to his kingdom and replenish his resources, and after a few minor operations during which all captives who wore the cross were either slain or branded, he withdrew from Viterbo and at the end of March re-entered his kingdom after an absence of five years. An effort was now made to put an end to this disastrous warfare. Hermann von Salza, who had striven so hard in the cause of peace, had died recently, and Frederick had thus lost a loyal and valued friend. But the new Grand Master of the Teutonic Order journeyed to Rome on behalf of the princes of Germany, and urged Gregory to relax his uncompromising enmity to the emperor. Gregory at first seemed inclined to welcome a suspension of hostilities which might pave the way for a more permanent settlement. Cardinal John Colonna was employed as the papal ambassador to the emperor, and arranged a truce on the pope's authority which did not include the Lombards in the amnesty which was to ensue. When Colonna arrived back at Rome, however, 
Gregory had been emboldened by the receipt of substantial and much-needed sums of money which had been extracted from the long-suffering clergy of England and France. He therefore refused to ratify a treaty which left the emperor free to wreak his vengeance upon the Lombards and thus to destroy the chief bulwark of the papacy. Colonna was commanded to return to the emperor and insist on an amendment of the agreement which should protect the Lombards. If the emperor refused, the truce was to be annulled. But the cardinal had no taste for such a mission. Far be it, he said, that there should be such fickleness of speech in the mouth of so great a man, and that these words should be sent to such a great prince, especially by the mouth of cardinals, who are not common persons, and to this fickle and faithless plan I will on no account consent, but firmly oppose it. The Pope's ready anger was aroused by this plain speaking. I no longer consider you as my cardinal, he said, and I, replied Colonna, will no longer esteem you as my Pope. The negotiations for peace failed since Frederick refused to include the Lombards in the truce, and the haughty cardinal, who was the Pope's ablest general, joined Frederick's cause and carried over the greater portion of his troops. The Book of Kings, wrote Frederick to Colonna, must now be your study. You must have naught to do with Leviticus and the Song of Songs. We have found in you a man after our own heart, and we shall honor and love you accordingly. Frederick stayed some four months in his kingdom, regulating its affairs and preparing for another campaign. Many ecclesiastics who had shown their sympathy with the Pope too plainly were banished, and the mischievous Franciscan and Dominican friars were everywhere subjected to persecution or driven from the realm. In May the news arrived that Alessandria, one of the five Lombard towns which had persisted in their defiance of the emperor after the battle of Corte Nuova, had changed its politics and espoused the imperial cause. A month later, unwelcome tidings came of the capture of Ferrara by the Guelphs. The city had been brought over to Frederick's side by its tyrant Salinguera in 1236. It was now besieged by the Venetians, the Bolognese, and the detachments from various Lombard towns under the papal legate Montelengo. Salinguera defended it for four months, but in June was forced to yield and did homage to the legate. Montelengo promised to spare the life and property of the old warrior and his men, but the promise was deliberately broken, and Salinguera ended his days in a Venetian prison. In July, the emperor commenced another campaign and led his Apulian army through the Anconitan march to Ravenna, where he was joined by Enzo. This city, which had cast off its allegiance to him after his excommunication in the previous year, was ill-prepared for defense, for its great captain, Paul Traversaro, had died four days before the emperor's arrival. Its citizens surrendered after a siege of a few days. They besought Frederick's mercy and bade him remember their long allegiance and loyalty before their revolt. Frederick listened to their entreaties and punished only the ringleaders of the unfaithful party. The populace was spared and the city garrisoned with the imperial troops. End of section 21